Hello, welcome to Utabia, Stephen Chicken, joined down the line as usual by David Hartrick. It's quite early in the morning, Dave. It is. How are you doing? We both have first thing in the morning hair. Which is incredible because I shaved my head yeah. and yet somehow still managed to, ha- to have it. You are My hair's all over the place and you are literally in a toweling dressing robe. <laughs> and I've not even been in the shower. Painting pictures with words here. <laughs> we are. We should paint some pictures about Huddersfield Town's 3-2 defeat to Plymouth Argyle on Saturday, though. It was the FA Cup third round. Carlos Gorbrandt did tell us in advance that he was going to be making substantial changes. He told us about a week before the game uh, that this was going to happen. And then on Friday, he actually told us seven of his starting lineup. So no one can really say that they, they were surprised by that team sheet. Obviously very youthful team there. I think over of the sixteen players they actually fielded it either from the start or off the bench. There were eight teenagers there and a further four were aged twenty one or under. And you also had the likes of Alex Vallejo in there, uh, who has not played many minutes since joining town back in October. So wasn't really a massive surprise, although still disappointing, of course, to see them lose to a strong Plymouth Argyle side. Yeah, um, Plymouth played next to their full strength. They'd been unchanged for five games, Plymouth, and they uh, they only made two changes for this, and both of them were first-team squad players. They weren't youth players, came in, Fornaros and Apoku are, are both players with plenty of games under their belt so they were taking this extremely seriously and their front two Hardy is a very canny excellent lower league striker and Jepcott is a player who I really really like he's a very young striker he's he's got a, a big future ahead of him I think in the lower leagues um, and it was always going to be a bit of a a bit of a test really um, when when it was clear that Plymouth were taking it that seriously it was it was more the game immediately became about trying to get some minutes into these these young players, looking at the system, looking at one or two partnerships, and seeing really who can make a contribution in the next six months and who can make a contribution in the next eighteen months really. And I thought there were there were one or two interesting things to to pick out really. The first of it I I think is worth discussing, Steve, is probably Vallejo, who is perhaps the closest of all the fringe players to to uh getting some minutes and i thought he looked okay i was quite interested in how deep he played steve yeah i mean he he essentially was the third center back and and Corbran acknowledged that it's uh it's different a different demand to play in 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 midfield we we talked about Vallejo after the game and and asked why he hadn't played so much before and and whether he might get more of a chance now and Corbran basically said well to be fair to him we've not really given him a chance to to show what he can do before now um but he pointed out that Vallejo hadn't played since uh after signing hadn't played since the previous December because I think he had an injury when when Covid hit and then the Spanish second division got called off so he, he hadn't played for for the better part of 10 months and of course as we've seen with uh, we'd say Carolighting. There's a big difference between the the Spanish second division or football abroad and the and the championship. He said that that Vallejo is a very much more of a technical player. He's not you know a, a defensive player. He's he's a player who helps control the ball. And we you know I'm sure people will have watched enough Spanish football to know that there are it's there's phases in the Spanish game where things slow down and then speed up again. Whereas the championship it's kind of constant and you you're constantly either making or 
have making challenges or having challenges made on you so he said those were the two sort of things that he's had to get used to were the just the, the physical side the fitness side having barely played and then also just the sort of the the different style of football that's on offer and um I mean, obviously, Pippa has come in and done fantastically well, but Pippa was playing top-flight football last year as Vallejo has spent most of his career in that, that second tier. So it's, I guess it's understandable that it would take him a bit more time to get used to it. And it's it's a higher risk position if you're playing him as your number six as well, which mm-hmm. I think is probably where they maybe see a future for him. But as you say, he was basically playing as the, the third man as, as the centre-back and and, uh, and he, he did a decent job there. Yeah, he did He did fine. You know, he didn't, he didn't really do anything particularly wrong he he didn't do anything brilliantly which you'd sort of expect when somebody hasn't played that that amount of football really but I think town probably need him to contribute before the end of the season at some point so I thought what was quite interesting is he is a he is a very noisy organizer he's not a mm. he's not a quiet he's not a soft presence in that team um and I thought that was quite interesting because if he is going to at some point give hog a little bit of a rest then it's interesting that he can come in and fulfill that role potentially yeah. in all in all aspects just quickly on Vallejo before we, we move on to, to the others. I think you're right that he has been signed as backup to Hogg and I think that is that's the primary reason they've signed him. But I just think in the immediate term, I, I wonder if we are gonna see more of him as that third centre back. Um just because we Carlos has has liked to play that that three at the back system in the first half of the season, but he's not really been able to recently. Um, just because he hasn't had the personnel to do it, he hasn't had enough centre backs to do it. And also, I think Hoggy has been too good in midfield to sort of drop back into that defensive role. So, I could definitely see a couple of games in, in the the coming weeks, perhaps before Richard Stearman's back, which should be in in a few weeks' time, where we might see Vallejo play that role again and possibly even have Hog ahead of him. Um, it's, I, I wonder if that is his more immediate prospect than getting in ahead of Hoggy. Mm. Yeah, no, you're, you're quite right, really, quite right. But I think. Uh... He was needed, wasn't he, to do that job against Plymouth because he had a very inexperienced back two yeah. behind him. So he did uh, he did quite an important job, really. Defensively, I thought it like I thought Jaden Brown was good. I think we both yes. think Jaden Brown was good, um, and I thought Aaron Rowe was okay, but that was a pretty special goal, wasn't it? Yeah, fantastic uh, effort. Sort twenty three yards out, cuts inside, gets onto his left foot. Which is is not his favoured foot, and and finds that that top corner. He couldn't have hit it any better. Um, and you know when when you've got a player who's converted from playing on the wing to being a, a fullback, you, you aren't hugely surprised when you see them pull off something like that. But it was still a, a, a nice moment for him to get his first senior goal. And we should mention as well, Romney Critchlow got his first senior goal too. And I thought especially Jaden Brown looked really really keen. Um, we we were having a bit of discussion last night about I, I think he's uh, I think he's put on a bit of muscle over the last sort of year or so Jaden Brown he, he looks just a little bit stronger up sort of around his shoulders um, and you could see he was he was putting himself about a bit more he wasn't he wasn't afraid to to go sort of shoulder to shoulder with the with the the wingers and and try and win the ball strongly and yeah he looks really keen and and that's good to see because he he we've written before I think he might there's an argument 
he's the unluckiest player in the town squad because he's playing behind mm-hmm. arguably the most indestructible player in the in the entire EFL uh, in Harry Toffolo. So he needed to make that opportunity count and show that he can he can do a job, and I think he he did a, a good job of that. Yeah, he did, and I I, I mean he kept. He was sort of, at times, he was more doing the Pippa thing than Dehaney was. I mean, there was a couple of times that first half he popped up in the number 10 role because he'd come inside that far. Um, But yeah, I thought he he was pretty good and I thought he was, he looked like a player who was very keen to take an opportunity to me um, to to show he was sort of ready and he faded a bit, you know, because there's obviously he's had that lack of first team football. But uh, yeah, no, I thought he was good. I thought Critchlow was okay. Didn't think he was he was great but he was okay didn't do you know didn't do much wrong um there was there was the mix up on the second goal wasn't there yeah, it was him and Osterfield yeah, but sort of... I, like you've got a very young pair in there yeah against a couple of very canny forwards and the other thing was Edwards and Grant out wide with Mayer coming in and playing sort of nominally as a 10 for Plymouth that that was that's something they do regularly and certainly Olegonju would not have come up against a challenge like that before um, and I mean that that young man it's worth talking about for a minute because I think there's quite a desire to see him come through down there and see him progress and he's got all the sort of like I I don't like I don't like putting players into boxes but if you were to talk about the sort of stereotypical assets of a central defender uh, you know in terms of physicality he's got them all um, but he I mean he was he got the early yellow card <laughs> for steaming mm. in but I thought he adjusted his game quite well and I thought he had quite a mature performance after that actually I thought he was quite I went back and and looked at the highlights and uh, looked at the extended highlights and I actually I think he played a little bit better than I gave him credit for watching it live. If I'm honest, I thought he was I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, he got caught a bit on the first goal, uh, but again, you you know it's his first ever senior appearance, so you'd expect that. And yeah, he, he's he's certainly confident. Yeah, you know he, he he's he like. He likes to carry the ball, and we were told sort of before the game he's gonna he's gonna take on the whole uh, the whole Plymouth team at some point here. I guarantee it. And there were a couple of times where he he ventured into the opposition half. We believe he came through as a, as a he sort of came on, on trial as a number ten, yeah. yeah. And and obviously they looked at the size of him and looked at you know the the how uh, how developed he is and just the the fact that he is so confident on the ball and thought you know what we've got a ball playing centre half here. Um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought to be honest, I, I didn't, I didn't think there was. I think D'Amico Dehaney didn't have a fantastic game, but the, that comes with the caveat that he was playing yeah. in an unfamiliar position. Uh, he was playing in central midfield essentially, uh, where he's he's played as a, as a right back primarily, obviously in his senior career, and has played a little bit at centre back for the B team recently. Um, he's played a few teams there on the right of a back three. I don't think he's really. I think he's come on for a few minutes here and there to help see out games. I think he did it at Swansea, if memory serves. Um, but he's not really played there before. E- even saying that, I, d- I don't think he had... I-, I think he would admit he's not had his best game there. It, if I can mount a slight defence to Haney there, I think there's a couple of things at play, really. I think the first is that between him and Rowe, they were 
trying to do the Pippa thing of trying to create a channel for Ro to come into and one or two times it worked but it it's quite a difficult position for Dehaney to play uh, in doing that particularly when it's something he's not familiar with if anything he would be more familiar with being Pippa in that instance mm-hmm. so that's one side of it the second side of it is Vallejo played very very deep essentially leaving Dehaney and Osterfield up against the five man midfield so not only is he trying to sort of come inside and create that channel for row or drift outside to leave that space for him to run into on his side he had Mayer who I think was was man of the match I thought was absolutely excellent he had Grant out wide on the left who continually tried to pull him wide continually basically spent the whole of the game with to use cliche with chalk on his boots and he had Jepcott pulling off onto his side as well who was trying to create space for Hardy and it's a very it, it was not an easy tactical game that for Dehaney and it's alright to sort of sit here and say well he didn't do very well or cope very well as I know a lot of people have but I think sometimes you have to look at what he's up against opposition wise and that side of the pitch was difficult and you, you continually you basically had three men up against four Plymouth runners and the system was designed to try and create space centrally and over the other side for the quick switch and it worked a lot of the time you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying it worked. It's not a slight on the on on town really when you look at the side they had out. But yeah, I don't think Dehaney had his best game, but it, that was a very very difficult game. And I think there's I think there's more experienced players would have struggled in them circumstances. If I'm brutally honest with you, um, but you know he may not have covered himself in glory. But yeah, that was a, that was a tough assignment and a far tougher assignment than I think most people are giving him credit for. Yeah, I think that that's. A, a, a perfectly fair point and then you look at the the front three uh or, or rather I, I think it might even have been a two because you had Matty Daly sort of playing that bit deeper and, and Pat Jones drifting off to the left and and Phillips sort of going right I think it was sort of a a, a split split center forward type situation because you had two Phillips going up that. yeah exactly so um, I thought Phillips showed a, a really nice first touch at times. Uh, he he's he's obviously got that about him, and he almost scored just before Town actually went ahead that that corner. But that that shot that he got that was the keeper tipped away from the top corner was all the hard work was was Pat Jones there who was playing on the other side, and I thought he really stood out. He was one of the youngest players on the pitch. He was he was the youngest in the starting lineup. I think um, Braham, Brahima Diara is a little bit younger, um, but he I, I thought he coped really well he he's he's very slight you can tell he's you know still a 17 year old um from, from just from looking at him but he was surprisingly difficult to knock off the ball he was very nimble mm. his his control was very tight he wasn't he wasn't a, a dribbler who sort of uses his speed and just knocks the ball forward 10 yards at a time and runs onto it mm. he, he kept it close under his feet and you know I, I don't think he's you know I'm not saying start him next week or anything like mm. that but I thought he did I thought he, he made a very good account of himself yeah I thought he was good it was his run and cut back that led to the corner for the Phillips chance yeah. wasn't it and it, yeah, I exactly. thought if if Phillips could have scored that 
I think it might actually be in a different game because I think that the, particularly those two would have taken so much confidence from that. They would have started to try things. I think what, what you saw with that front line is what you always see with a young front line in these situations, which is full of enthusiasm and adrenaline for the first half an hour and then things get a little bit tougher and then you know the confidence goes a little bit if they haven't scored etc and it just becomes a bit tough and it becomes a bit of a learning experience and again not not to go on about the opposition but Plymouth played a three and all three defenders are they're certainly higher level league one defenders they're they're a good standard there was no particular weak link there and not only that you've got Edwards and Grant who just ran and ran and ran and ran and ran and ran um so coming back and making that five again tough assignment for a established front three never mind uh you know a sort of a, a, a very young front three slash two slash ten and two force nines however you want to put it really and I think they did fine again I think they did absolutely fine Jones got his assist from the corner um which it's always nice to have something in your stats column Mm -hmm. it's just it's it's a nice feeling for any young footballer and yeah I think it would be fair to say he was perhaps the player that most people looked at and thought oh 12 months time is he you know is he going to be ready to get on that bench and potentially make some sort of difference in a few games but I think Phillips is an interesting one because obviously Phillips is the striker everybody's talking about and he's scored is, is he over 2,000 goals now in youth football <laughs> um, this season he's you know he's been scoring week in week out and he's the one I think there's a real desire to, to see come through but I think what I think he still needs a little bit of physicality. Um, I think his touch is great. I think his finishing is clearly clearly up there. Just needs a little bit of physicality and a bit of experience. But Phillips is that classic one you look at, that in a perfect scenario where you've got a nice big squad and cover for every position, he's the player you send out for a season-long loan next year, isn't he? So that he comes back sort of equipped, ready to slot in and, and make a difference. But that, that just may not be the case here. Yeah, I, I think they probably want to look after him in-house, just sort of from a fitness perspective. Um, he, he He's 20 years old, but he did miss two and a half years of his development as a teenager because he had a, a horrible injury. It was a, a double knee fracture he had uh, with cartilage damage as well. And from from what I've read and from our reporters at the Liverpool Echo, there were doubts about whether he would walk again, let alone play football. So he he's you know he's obviously had to come back from that and it's a lot of football to miss at that age so you know people might look at the fact that he's 20 and say well why hasn't he made it yet but I mean he was he was really really highly rated at Everton and they, mm. they thought enough of him to keep him on uh, even even for a spell after after he made his recovery from that so um, I think that that tells you that there's a talent there and I think that's probably why they haven't looked to get him out this season is just because they want I mean I'm, I'm guessing here this is speculation but I, I would imagine that they want to keep an, an eye on his fitness and, and he has had sort of I think they're being understandably quite cautious with him um, because he he has had sort of recurrent knee issues where they've said sort of just as a precaution they've kept him out of games a little bit um, rather than, than risking him so that's that's you know something that they'll need to get past but players 
do come back from from things like this you know it, it does happen um so you just need a bit of careful management but obviously fans were keen to see him as you say after that form for the b team which is very well documented at this point and he just needs he just needs minutes he just needs mm. time on the pitch and and you know time to do his thing i i, I don't know if he's going to be I, I i think you look at sort of romani edmund screen ryan schofield and the plan with them was always to get the minutes before the end of the season i think with kieran phillips they might seem as a bit of a longer term project i think they might think that maybe a year from now is when they're looking at, at getting him in and getting him on the pitch regularly rather than thinking well he's going to be our starter next season um but uh yeah he's he's a, a promising project yeah i just i i think i know what you're saying about the injury concerns and everything but i think there's a point where you need to see him for three months playing football somewhere yeah, absolutely and, and yeah i mean it's 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 the same as what happened with smith rowe isn't it like yeah. at arsenal they after his groin injury the first sort of six months after that they kept him at the club and they didn't let him go out until the january because they wanted to just make sure and keep their own medical staff's eye on him so yeah there's a young man who had an eventful saturday as well <laughs> yeah we should touch on him quickly um i think actually he had that red card overturned uh, and then went on to to score because um, you you showed me the phone with smith rowe sent off on it yeah uh, and obviously i was i wasn't paying attention to what was happening in the arsenal game i was i was focusing on this game and then next thing you know you show me it again and he scored <laughs> well i, I... I've had, I've done a couple of podcasts recently for um, Arsenal podcasts because they were a, a lot of um, they wanted to know about his time last season because there are quite a few Arsenal fans who didn't realise he was quite as ready as he was to go really, and I did. Yeah, one I've la- had I've had a French journalist asking me yeah. exactly the same things. I did, I did one last week, and the the guy I did it with, Yankee Kuna, has got an incredible record of focusing on a player and then them having an absolute nightmare for the following month and when I saw a red card I thought oh right excellent we've cursed him <laughs> um, but yeah no he he, uh, he pulled himself out of that but so yeah I think it's I, I, it's one of them games where we learned a little bit about individuals didn't we? we we saw a little bit of the future maybe you know certainly in someone like Jones but it's sort of right okay let's all move on to the next game I think I was quite surprised I think it's worth talking about that I did see a little bit of fan reaction that was quite annoyed that they're out of the FA Cup mm-hmm. and they, they feel they should have taken it a little bit serious and, and got a little bit further but I just I just don't think they they didn't have the utility to do it <laughs> on the day yeah. they, they, they've got players who are injured they've got players who are close to injury and in the red zone and they've got players who are absolutely fine but just need a week off playing football yeah. um, so I, I just don't think there was I'm genuinely not sure there was any other 11 they could have got out onto the pitch and we we were speaking to someone before the game who said that these they've taken it seriously to the point that these young players have all had a full week training with Corbin and his team and you know being drilled in positions and and learning a hell of a lot sessions every week yeah all week yeah Um, and learning a hell of a lot so it's not it's not like this was just all right let's just pick some kids out of the youth team and bung them in um they did everything they could but i think this season and in this sort of specific sense uh, set of circumstances i can understand being annoyed that you're not in the cup anymore but at the same time there really was no other way to possibly do it i don't think no i mean corbran said after the game there are seven players um that that were in his starting lineup for the last 
five games, the previous five games, who didn't make it all the way through the week's training this week. Mm. So that's only four players that have completed a full week's training. Uh, and as you say, when you've got when you've got seven out, and that includes Isaac and Benz, who's self-isolating at the moment um, as well. He's going to be back in, in middle of next week, I think. Um, yeah, when you don't want to risk the other four that you do have. Um, yeah. And he's, he said that there are a couple who are set for scans as well, um, or, or not a couple. He, he he didn't he didn't put a number on it. He said there are some players who who they're going to give scans to. He, he he seemed hopeful that it was nothing too serious, but at the same time, he's still talking about players that that might have to miss uh, perhaps the Watford game. So. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, a bit of a worry but I think that's all the more reason that's sort of the flip side of that is all the more reason to try and get the minutes into those those squad players and he Carlos talks about it as growing the squad um, and he, by that he doesn't mean by bringing in players on transfer he means by making sure that the players the fringe players and, and the backup and the youth players are more ready to go uh, in the second half of the season because we know he you know he ended up relying on that that same first 11 week in week out over Christmas um, and I think he would ideally have liked to have felt that he could put some different players in and I, I think I don't want to keep going back to that Bournemouth game but I do wonder if he was surprised after that Bournemouth game by just how not ready some of those players were and wanted to get them and, and thought ah right we need to do a job here uh, and and almost had in his diary then we're going to play this team in the FA Cup regardless mm. uh, because yeah they, they they need more bodies in the second half of the season that's for sure because um, there's going to be more injuries you know it's just a fact of life hopefully none of them too serious like we've had with Christopher Schindler or Josh Caroma but there are going to be knocks and niggles and people out for two three weeks and things like that it's it's just a fact of life it is it is but speaking of new bodies lovely little segue here <laughs> we got to see Rolando Aarons didn't we yeah he got the last 20 minutes or so um and again similar to Alex Vallejo it's it's worth saying I don't think he's played any competitive football since March last year that those were his first his first real minutes that that he got in the FA Cup there and him can't start a sentence with him can you that's it's not where it goes he is gonna take a bit of t- another one who's gonna take a bit of time to, to get up to speed which is where I think Pat Jones is interesting actually because you've got you've got three players for that left wing unless you sort of stick with a Lewis O'Brien or a Janino Bakuna you've got three players for that left wing who probably none of them can play 90 minutes at the moment where you've got Rolando Arons who hasn't really played any competitive football since March you've got um, Danny Grant, who was coming off of part-time schedule and wasn't able to make his debut at the weekend, and Corbrand said that was sort of just partly down to he, he felt something in his hamstring, and it was just a a precaution. It's not an injury. He's going to be back in training on Monday, kind of thing. But he he's gone from training three times a week to doing double sessions every single day uh, here in England. So he's going to take a bit of time to adapt to that, and that's where I wonder if if there might actually weirdly be minutes for a Pat Jones or someone like him to to play on that side, um, just to get sort of 10, 15 minutes here or there in a game where you're winning and just need a bit of pace and a bit of energy and a bit of adrenaline up front. Um, But I think they are going to have to, as it stands, put Aaron's into the team Mm. as quickly as they possibly can. I think they're going to want to get him up to speed as soon as possible. Uh, It's been a protracted saga getting him here. What what are you expecting from him, Dave? Um, I think he's... (sighs) 
Like his cameo against against Plymouth, I don't think you can read too much into it because of the situation, the game situation he was put into, and the fact that he was. I mean, he was essentially playing as a striker. I think for most of his time on the pitch, or certainly took it upon himself to play as a striker. I think the certainly the word from the Newcastle side is that he's got all the talent in the world. Um, it's just knowing when to deploy it and knowing. I think I think he's a player who needs to play football. Put it that way. I I don't. I think he might be quite good and quite exciting to begin with, and then probably level out for a bit because, I mean, I don't think he's played five first team games in a row in his entire career that I could see. So you you've got a player who really needs to sort of get to grips with the. He's the the physicality, the demands, the the three games in eight days in the championship, etc., and all of that takes a little while to get up to speed. So yeah, I I am expecting him to come in and do quite well straight away, and then as I said, I think before the end of the season we might have a little bit of a leveling out. But I think with all of these players, like I I know we keep talking about this season as being sort of a safe, comfortable, boring season. I think there's a few of these players who are just going to benefit massively from a normal pre-season. And I think I look at someone like Aaron's, and I know Town have signed him now, but I think he will obviously contribute massively before the end of the season. But then I think if you give him a proper pre-season, next season is probably where you see the benefit of his signing um but yeah i i think it i think it's good that they've got it done i think it's good that they've got two wingers in because people were crying out for wingers and strikers so with with grant and aaron's you've got two players there who can play wide but can also play as inverted forwards coming in and, and getting among goals it's it's what else to town do from here if anything really yeah and i think probably we're not expecting too much um Carlos Gulbran had sort of indicated maybe he's he said they're not in for any more wingers that that's their business done with the wingers um they're expecting Adama Diakabi back sort of middle middle of next week and Isaac and Benza and Danny Ward um obviously that the, the we'll, so Corbran hasn't said which players it is that that might have those injury worries, but assuming it's not Fraser Campbell, um, you know you're going to have him. Uh, Kieran Phillips has got minutes into him. Suddenly, <laughs> they've got quite a lot of, uh, of of forward options, and you you know perhaps none of them are, are entirely ideal, but at least it's numbers there. Where you know this time ten days ago, this that's not a sentence. Uh, where this time ten days ago, we were saying, well, they've only got Isaac and Ben and Fraser Campbell and that's it for your forwards because um, that was all they had so yeah and I, there is an argument that bodies are what you need in the championship just yeah. because of the relentless nature of it so but I, I think I think any more ins are probably largely going to be dictated by injuries would you agree with that you know if, if any of this stuff turns out to be a little bit longer term then they may have to look at a loan or something cheap on someone because they really can't afford I mean certainly defence and midfield they really can't afford to lose anybody yeah. else for like three months can they yeah I think it's injuries uh, as you say I think I think probably the two areas where they they can't really lose anyone and it, as you say a central defense because they've had Romani Adams Green and Nabi Sart and then you've got Critchlow and Olegunju and respectfully I don't think you want them you want to be relying on them to have a spell of 10 games in a row yeah. um like 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 I think they're just at that little bit behind where Romani Edmund Green is, um and and maybe can't do that that job. But um 
as I say, Vallejo's coming back in, but I think you probably only want to play him at centre-back in a three rather than in a two. So if you get any more knocks at centre-back, then then you're struggling. Although that said, Richard Stearman's going to be back soon. So um, we'll see where they go with that one. Um, and I think centre-forward as well. Obviously, Phillips and Board have had sort of recurring injury problems. They've Neither of them have been like, have had an injury where it's three months out but they've both had injuries where it's kept them out for two weeks and then three weeks and then four weeks and then I, I do wonder if they might need a, a striker as well um, but it's, if those two can't get fit but that's a very difficult position to recruit yeah that's a in thing. January because anybody who is good enough like comes with a massive premium in January and B if Fraser Campbell does a very specific job in this team sort of a really highly specific job and Danny Ward is also there as a permanent member of that squad and can play wide if required you're basically asking somebody to come in and potentially be a permanent second choice to both and it's very difficult to recruit for that position and get any sort of upgrade in those circumstances even loan wise because like if you're if you're a Premier League club and you've got a really good young striker that you want to see get minutes on the pitch, you don't loan him to a club where they're going to be brutally honest with you and say, well, what we really want them for is cover and potentially getting some minutes off the bench at the end of the games just to give Fraser Campbell a break. Mm. So it's it's a very difficult piece of recruitment that, and I think it would be pretty bold to tackle that in January. I mean, if you find the right but- player and you think he, they're they're perfect, then and they've got a long term future then you know go ahead and get them signed but i i'm just not sure that that player is out there in january for sensible money happy to come in in the circumstances you know this is why i say i think it needs i think it needs ward and phillips both to have another setback i i think or or for campbell to to get you know any two of those three basically to have i think it needs to be a significant injury to campbell or further setbacks to both ward and phillips for for that to happen Mm. and and the other thing is is whether there are any players leave which is something that we haven't we haven't really talked about too much uh i think play obviously fans are always more excited about the prospect of of players coming in but we you know you can never rule out the possibility of of players going and you would think that if uh any kind of money came in for some of the players that are out of contract uh, in the summer then then town would look at that particularly if those players are on big wages and and it allows them to shift them and, and get rid of them six months early but again it, it's 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 a positional thing, you know. I think there's maybe central midfield you could afford to do that with with one of your your higher paid players, but you probably couldn't do it. You know, you're not going to let Fraser Campbell go this January. So no, and I also like I th- I think you've got to look at it from the players' point of view. I think it's very easy to say, well, we need to shift Alex Pritchard for money in this window, or he's going to walk for free in the summer, for instance. But there is a human involved in that deal. Mm-hmm. that human if they agree to get uh, to being transferred in this month physically loses out on money because if they're a free agent in the summer they can command a slightly higher wage but they also get a whacking great signing on fee that goes straight into their pocket and football's a short career <laughs> and these are humans involved so you can't it, it i always think it's very very difficult below that sort of really top line of player that top line premier league player whose contract's 
coming up where clubs can afford to go and spend the money on them to sort of secure that signing. I think in the championship and below, you know, League One and League Two, if they're coming out of out of contract, then teams know that it's very, very difficult to convince the player to come at that point anyway. And why spend the money, you know, just wait. So I don't, it's not an easy job shifting players at, at that point. Um, so again, I just, who knows, maybe somebody does come in with silly money for someone and town can immediately move to replace them because I'm sure they've got their A, you know, their A targets, B targets and C targets that they could move on. Uh, but I just, I, I just don't really see much happening other than the sort of typical agent mm. talk and bluff and bluster really. Yeah, I, I think, well put it this way, there's been no, this time last year we knew there was a list of players that, that were going to go out and you know there were several players that were linked with moves already and we, we really haven't seen any serious links with, with mm. players linked with, with moves away uh, this month. So yeah, I, I I would I would be surprised if we saw very much movement in either direction between now and the end of the window. And, you know, I'm, I'm cutting off um, my own nose to spite my face there because I want you coming to the website, checking out transfer rumours. And, you know, who knows, we maybe something uh, exciting will come up. You know, that, that Brazilian story came out of nowhere two, two weeks ago, literally an hour after I said to my boss, oh, we, we don't get glamorous, exciting transfer rumours at Huddersfield Town. So, um, so you never know, but... There's a pod title, Chicken Talks About Brazilian. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks, Dave. But, um, but no, I, I, I know it's not very glamorous or exciting, but I think that's the reality of, of where we are. And I, think, and I don't... We've talked about this before. I mean, we... Flipping act, Dave. We were talking about this in October, that mm. you just don't get value in the, the January transfer window. And why spend the money now once... On, and take the money out of their own pocket when they can hold on to it and and spend it more wisely in the summer. And also, I think we we listen. We all know that that there's a big recruitment job to be done in the summer. They go they're going to lose a lot of players who are going out of contract. The the whole um, the way the the wage bill shifts back into to where you know takes a significant leap towards where town want it to be. But they've also got to get some players in. You know, you yeah they've. They've got a similar job to what they had last summer, haven't they? Yeah. Where and a couple of youngsters will have stepped up, but they still need to get maybe five or six in. And I think anybody that they go and get now would... Put it this way. there's Say they lost someone tomorrow, they're not going to suddenly sit down and go, right, we need to start looking at midfielders. They will have their targets. They will know who they want to go for. You know... Anyone you've got to bring forward off that list to January again, without repeating ourselves, it's just going to cost you a massive premium. So I just, I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be particularly sexy, really. But it's, it's, it is what it is. And if they do lose somebody and get a like for like, great. But I don't think it's going to be like anyone. Again, it's not. There's, there's not going to be anything that makes you feel particularly fizzy. But just wait till the summer. Let's see what what happens with that squad over the summer, which will be interesting. Yeah. It, yeah it will um and covid uh, we should talk about as well it's some it's a it's a topic that we've sort of avoided on this podcast because i think everyone is very 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 aware of the situation around the coronavirus but we have seen more and more games called off we saw obviously villa basically had to field the under 18s against liverpool on friday and you, there, there have been sort of worries about whether football can continue um, as it's going. How, how do you see it going, Dave? And I know you have a view on this that that they will keep the games on. What, what's your reasoning on that? 
Well, I think you've got to make a value judgment here, and I think you're locking down you're locking down a population in the two worst months of the year, weather-wise, when it's it's freezing cold. Um, I think we've got rain and snow forecasts for most of next week, and I think putting the football on and getting it as much of it as possible on TV does help to keep a decent percentage of the population where you want them to be, which is sat on the sofa and sat in their armchairs with the TV on. I don't know if that is morally the right thing to do in the circumstances but again I think it comes to a value judgment and I think if you can keep the football on you have to I think there's sort of more if you if you're talking about the moral side of things I think you really then get into the world of of should players be punished harsher for breaking Covid regulations and there's obviously been some stuff at Christmas with trips to Dubai I noticed Celtic have got their first positive Covid test after their trip to Dubai yesterday etc I think it's very very difficult and I don't think there's a I don't think there's many right or wrong answers there's just a lot of sort of gray areas all over the place and I just my personal take on it is I think as if if it's in a safe environment and you can afford to keep doing it I think it's a good thing to keep football on and keep that percentage of the population in their front rooms watching tv but the minute it becomes an unsafe environment then you have to pull it um, which is what they did in the first lockdown because they just physically couldn't see a path to to making the a safe environment and a safe place for players to play so yeah I it it's a difficult subject to talk about without because everybody is like got a, a, a a sort of very passionate response to how they feel about lockdowns and COVID itself and the government and everything else. But I, I just, I feel rightly or wrongly, football will continue and... I do think it does serve a purpose. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there the thing about... I've, I've seen a column from from Barney Ronay and I've seen David Moyes talk about it saying that, that footballers are being more harshly treated. I don't think they are, to be honest, for, for breaking the rules. It's just high profile, uh, that's all. Yeah, it exactly. You know... It's not like people weren't upset about Dominic Cummings. It's not like MPs haven't had to apologise and have lost lost their jobs because of it. You know, there's been plenty of high-profile people in all walks of life. You know, whenever someone on TV is seen to be breaking social distancing, they get hammered on social media. It isn't just footballers that are getting done for it. As you say, it's just it's just that that's the world that we sort of move in, so we pay attention to it more when it happens to a footballer. To be honest as well, I think it's good that there's outrage about those those rules being broken i think there should be a taboo on on doing unnecessarily risky things in this environment and i think you create that taboo by by having that outrage to be honest so i can't really get on board with with that but i agree with you though that and to be honest i I sort of i kept my counsel a little bit um last year when the first lockdown was on i didn't think football should come back um in in june july um but i think to be fair to them they they showed that that they are capable of doing it in a safe way that isn't putting the players or the or the staff at 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 risk um certainly at at absolutely no more risk than the general population and in fact in fact during you know that sort of that june july through to to just before Christmas, they I would wager that football has had a a, a lower incidence mm. than most of the rest of the general population because um, I mean partly that is certainly at, at sort of Premier League and Championship level because players can afford to live a lifestyle that 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 permits that and don't necessarily have partners who are going out to work at supermarkets etc mm. etc et um, as as was the case in rugby league. 
Um, I so think it's, I think I think it's also worth saying that this, for, from the the point of view of the stuff around football, Steve. So me and you physically go into games and seeing how they're dealing with it and seeing the setup at various grounds. I think it's genuinely worth saying that I, I, I've I've rarely felt safer than going you know in any environment mm. than I have doing a game in a football ground during this crisis. I mean, we yeah. even spoke to somebody who I won't name because I'm not sure they'd want me to but who has been going to games um, and covering games who is now going to have to do them from a central office and is really annoyed about it because there, there is far more inherent danger about going into an enclosed room with a couple of people even social distancing to cover a game than there is in going to a stadium where all the protocols are being followed you're outside you're socially distanced i mean i i feel completely safe and happy doing a mm-hmm. doing a game um and particularly you you look at somewhere like Huddersfield Town they're not only following the protocols they're sort of going a bit above and beyond anyway so I think I it, it's we, we are privileged in that we still get to go to games but people need to understand because I think some people have the perception that it's completely normal for us that we're all sitting together and you know mixing and nobody's got a mask on or anything like that it's it's the complete opposite it's really regimented we can only go in certain areas we can only do certain things we can only use a certain toilet and all this sort of thing we can only really go on the stands yeah, yeah. it's one at a time in the toilets we've got no press room open well the the awaiting teams in the press room that's what that's their changing room at the moment so we're doing the presses over zoom after the games um rather than doing them in the press room or at pitch side and uh there are clubs that are doing them sort of in the ground but they're doing them in the concourse because it has to be a, a ventilated area mm-hmm. so they'll they'll put a, a ring of seats sort of where the fans would normally be out, you know, out in front of the the burger stand they'll do the manager's press conference i did an oldham game and they brought the manager up the stand to the press they delivered him to the press rather than the other way around and he just yeah. did it in the flesh literally standing 6 feet away from the journalists so you know, precautions are being followed. It's not normal. It's not normal. And the, the people that are breaking the protocols, the footballers, that's be, that's not because they are doing what their clubs are telling them, if you know what I mean. That's that's a, an actual choice they are making to go and break the rules. It's not something the clubs have got control on. And I think that's an important factor as well and, and is that when this all hit sort of back in March, no one had anything in place, that is the thing, because this is a situation we'd never dealt with before a global pandemic and now the clubs have that in place you know i know that at canal side in the offices they've got screens up like they're a bank teller and they're calling you up to cashier number three please and you know that they've 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 put these things in place now and they've got them it's not like they they need to go away and spend six weeks doing up the training ground because there's been a spike they've already got the measures there and the other thing is i mean i i i've said before well maybe they could do a a two-week break um just to until they ride out the 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 spike but then a two-week break is no good because you have to be closing the training grounds it has to be sort of three weeks minimum because you have to close the training ground for two weeks and then you can't have the players going into games cold they need to have been on the training ground for at least a week preferably two so you can't you can't just stop it for a weekend it has to be sort of you would you'd have to do a month steve you'd you'd have to have a month because you'd have to have two and a half three weeks away so and without anybody having any contact 
contact with anybody so that you know they're coming back absolutely clean and then you've got to have a week and a half to two weeks on the training pitch so it would have to be a whole month yeah and then you you run into the euros then yeah so yeah it it, it causes real issues if they have to stop again but even taking that out of it because i would i would i would have absolutely no time for any argument that was based on oh but where you're going to put the games if it was a if i felt it was a a public health thing as i say i was privately dedicated to football coming back when it did in in june and july but it turned out they were able to do it safely to be fair and and now i would have no qualms about it it continuing um short of there being a, a massive um spike in the in the infection rate and and that continuing to 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 cause issues to the clubs but Hopefully. I think like it's also worth saying because a lot of people are a lot of people are sort of sick to the back teeth of everything and I completely understand that it's worth saying there is light at the end of the tunnel we can now see a way out eventually with through vaccinations um and mm. I think exercising a bit of patience is all we can do hopefully this time next year the only pandemic you're suffering Steve is my banter <laughs> The the bantemic, <laughs> lovely stuff. <laughs> this is why you do the banter and not me, right? We came into this thinking, if we do half an hour, we've done a good job there, and we've talked for over fifty minutes. Good work, Dave. Yes, if there's one thing I can do, it's pad and fill. <laughs> magic right thank you for joining us everyone thanks to you Dave for joining us uh, and thanks to the listener for joining us uh, you can follow everything we do on examinerlive.co.uk and we will see you after the Watford game tricky away tie Dave one of the hardest uh, trips we're going to have this season isn't it yeah and I think they're, they're a different Watford to the one that downbeat mm. at home a couple of weeks back. Um, tricky game. I think if they get anything out of it, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. No, a draw would be a fantastic result there. Yeah, it really would. But, uh, yeah. I, I Without, like you spoke about, the players who've come from the training and the injuries, we don't even know what that first eleven's going to look like, if we're brutally honest. So, yeah, it, it does feel like a, it could be a long Saturday. Yeah. Magic, hopefully. Well, it's something to look forward to then. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. See you there.